Invest in your home. Dave Ramsey here for Low Country Contractors. Now's a great time to enhance your home with that new dream kitchen, bath, or addition. I trust Low Country Contractors. They've been voted Best Home Improvement and Remodeling Contractor by Mount Pleasant Magazine, voted Top Remodeler in South Carolina by Remodeling Magazine, and they have a 98% customer satisfaction rating from Guild Quality. Folks, this is a no-brainer. Visit LowCountryContractors.com. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to TUP Talks episode two. It's myself Andy and with me as always I have Dan, my co-host. Dan, how are we doing this evening? I'm great, thank you Andy. How are you? I'm great. And I should really say, how are you doing this morning? How are you doing tonight? How are you doing this afternoon? Just in case someone's listening to this in the future at various, you know, varying times uh, and it makes yeah, the drive. For, yeah, I'm covering the bases. So delete as applicable, folks. OK. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you wherever you're listening around the world. Uh, TUP Talks episode one, me and Dan were just discussing off air, had a ton of people listening to it, which is great, especially for a new show, where of course we are discussing Unidentified episode three and four on this show. Now that was UFOs and nukes and planetary threat. I think I made a mistake before in, in a show and called it interplanetary threats, which maybe made it more, even more exciting than it actually was, that oh, there's <laughs> yeah. multiple planets involved within this threat. So, yeah, I totally missold on that one. Would the show um, budget go to SpaceX in that case? Elon Musk potentially getting involved. or God, he's a divisive <laughs> character. I'm going to do a show on him eventually, I think, because, yeah, he's like he's, he's very much the Tony Stark of, well, giving kids stupid names. But, yeah, but, Dan, <laughs> when you saw the episode guide, because I remember that was one of the first things we talked about before Unidentified came out, I think episode one, two, and three uh, had all leaked, or correct me if I'm wrong, but UFOs and nukes jumped out at me straight away as a title. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the episode titles have kind of been leaking as we've gone along up to the full reveal uh, a week or so back. Um, but yeah, UFOs and nukes has, has been a, a long-running connection, right? Um, and it's great to hear TCSA directly address that. For, for, I was going to say an hour, but I guess 45 minutes advertising. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting, episode seven um, is Lou Elizondo doesn't believe in aliens. So that'll be an interesting episode. I'm just joking. That, <laughs> that is definitely not what it's going to be called. But we are going to touch on episode four, Planetary Threat as well, and how the episode ended about Lou's own sighting, which we'll, we'll get to, of course. But very episode intriguing. three, very intriguing. Episode three, UFOs and nukes. Overall thoughts on the episode, Dan? I really enjoyed the episode. Um, it was very, very lovely to see a very smartly dressed Tim McMillan in there as well. 
um, he does great work and it's really uh, fantastic to see him on screen there getting the, the credit he deserves. I have to plug that obviously Tim McMillan I interviewed in episode four and five. It was a two-parter in one of my very early interviews um, where I think for one of the first time times, Tim actually talks about the Department of Energy and their involvement and how he had foiled them. And it's interesting that more and more we're hearing Department of Energy being mentioned as a bigger player in the whole UFO, UAP scene than maybe was initially thought. And that's coming to the forefront. And again, Jeremy McGowan, who I'll talk about in a few minutes, when I interviewed him last night, or a couple of nights ago, and the interview released last night, he also mentioned that on the scene, the Department of Energy were there as well. So the name's getting banded about a lot. So that's something I've kind of noticed creeping into more and more articles and comments and, and news broadcasts as well. Yeah, it has. There, there was news this week that um, I, I was just reading through an article that was talking about, uh, you know, atom-layered material similar to the bismuth magnesium that, that we're all familiar with. Um, and then right at the bottom of the article, just tucked down there, was the Department of Energy has restarted their funding for the research and it just made me think, you know, going back, they, they could have had something. And the fact that restarting is in there, um, it, it made me think that it's something that, as many people say, was put on the shelf until they could deal with it. it Scientifically, that is. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense. If you've got a department that deals with all things energy for a country, if you have a potential new energy source, or an exotic energy source that you're trying to understand, then that's the people who would have this. And they're a huge, powerful, you know, section within the government and no doubt private sectors. And I'm not too sure how it totally works over in the US. But yeah, it just made sense when Tim mentioned that to me. And it's, it's interesting to see that come to the, the, the floor more and more. Um, David Marceau, uh, I love an artist's impression or a reconstruction or a render and I like that we're seeing more of that in this series again we're not getting all those well episode four actually we do get some videos and pictures which was nice um yeah. but episode three it's more reconstructions but I like that little bit extra effort going into it this is what these people saw and you'll hear the testimony but they're going to also show you a drawing of it show you a recreation and David Marceau discusses the the object he saw as being a quite a huge craft and the artist's design I thought was quite interesting as well that he said he saw. It wasn't necessarily your typical UFO you would expect to see. What was your thoughts on it, Dan? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the one <clears throat> that had the kind of the bright spot on the one side of it, right? Like it was yeah. kind of an exhaust. Well, I, that's interesting. You think exhaust, whereas I thought window. Yeah, window for sure. That that could be it. But I'm now thinking exhaust. <laughs> But I mean, that's just where my brain goes. Yeah, you know, we, we've got to acknowledge that's just our bias. And <laughs> okay, but yeah, so for me, it was it was a huge craft, and that was something Lou talked about the size of it, the geometry. Um, Ryan Sprague did mention that he was really intrigued with that. I think you got in on that conversation on Twitter as well, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, Ryan was talking about it on Twitter. And since the material at the base was thought to be nuclear and it attracted the UFO or UAP, whichever is your preference, um, I asked if I possibly they'd used this same technique to attract and maybe communicate with the UFO. And Ryan responded to me with, have I got a story for you? Um, 
if you ever interview him, that's that's the story I'd like, please. Yeah, Ryan's totally up for coming onto the podcast for an interview. Obviously, he's got his new book released as well, uh, Somewhere right. in the Skies, second edition. Um, please go and check that out on Amazon. But yeah, I'm going to be speaking to Ryan. But yeah, I noticed that, but he left it there, didn't he? Because even I had said, go on. And yeah, we've had nothing since on that. So yeah, yeah potentially dummy um, UFOs and intercontinental ballistic missiles, as they are, they're also being kept. But it's intriguing that this such a big craft was there a couple of soldiers saw it but again it just disappears doesn't it and this is where we're starting to get all this testimony leaking out um absolutely i i really like that there was a corroborating testimony for that one um yes. i'm a big fan of you know multiple points of view of the same event and yeah that that did a lot to really drive that one home yeah i think um jeremy mcgowan who Obviously, there was a few different testimonies, but the one that stood out to me as well was Jeremy McGowan. So, again, his episode is just released, talking to myself. And again, Dan, I liked, and again, thanks for all the feedback, folks. And Dan as well listens to these, and usually I give him like the previews beforehand to tell me what he thinks. Um, Dan has said he felt like it was a special feature for Unidentified, which I liked. But as, as Jeremy says, he spoke to Lou for um, around an hour and a half to two hours and in six to eight minutes of content made it onto the show, just given time constraints and the testimony and, and everything else. So he expanded on the story. And for me, as I mentioned on the interview, it sounds like the plot of a 1990s Nicolas Cage movie. Um, <laughs> it's it's just very, you know, broken arrow. There's a recovered nuclear weapon or nuclear material out in the middle of the Jordanian desert. An elite task force is, is guarding it and... As he said himself, there's the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DOD, the DOE, Department of Energy, of course, like I said, are all there. And he's told that basically they have to shoot anyone who goes near this crate. Now, that in itself was quite a fascinating story. And then you tie into it the fact, that obviously, there's a UFO, UAP sighting involved as well. What was your thoughts on Jeremy's, on Jeremy's tale? Um, I absolutely loved it. It was riveting. Um, I loved hearing him, him expand on it uh, in your conversation. Um, like you said, it's it's almost a shame that he only gets to be on the show for six minutes. But having worked in production, um, I know that you know you film for an hour and use very little of what you film. Um, it would be lovely to see those as actual unidentified special features one day, you know. Um, but I understand the time constraints. Yeah, I'm all for some bonus content if that's something they would ever look into doing. Um, with Jeremy sighting, he mentioned on the show that, that the object was coming over his head, hitting a point in the sky, and then taking that one of the five observa observables, easy for me to say, that's right. shooting off to an, a totally different 90 degree angle. Um, it keeps happening, but something that he said that he had never considered until Lou Elizondo asked him for 25 years. As Jeremy told me after we stopped recording, but it's okay to share this, that um, he thought it was the same object and it never occurred to him that this could have been multiple objects coming down and turning, whether it was some kind of, you know, interplanetary highway or, you know, they're following a repeating pattern or something's following something else, or maybe it was the same object and it was some kind of reconnaissance, who knows, but again, we've got nuclear weapon potentially out in the desert as we kind of find out it sounds like it pretty much was um yeah. all these different departments out there and something's keeping an eye on it 
on the whole UFOs and nukes, you know, connection, for me, Dan, and it's going to tie into the, the, the next episode as well when we get to it, but the threat narrative that whether people like it or not, and this is something that's easy to get across on maybe this show that I struggle on Twitter, where I get why they are going with a narrative of these potentially being a threat. I'm not saying that we should blow these things up or shoot them. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. But I do understand where you have to consider the possibility that these things are turning these on and off for a reason. You know, especially when you don't know what's inside them. These could be drones um, where they're turning up and basically showing that they can turn on and off missile silos. They can potentially blow missiles out the sky as we've seen some, you know, kind of grainy but interesting YouTube videos. So if, if you've got as a planet another defence, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous weapon to have, isn't it? It's the whole mad theory, mutually assured destruction, that someone launches one, someone else launches one, then, you know, they all die, so what's the point? But yeah. down the line, if these were something like Independence Day, let's go back to one of my favourite movies, um, they use a nuclear weapon against this alien race that it does nothing because it literally hits a force field, right? But are, are these things potentially making the point? We can come into your backyard and we can play with all your toys if we want and you can do nothing about it. Or are they coming in and showing us that we shouldn't use these or that if we do or choose to use them, this is how easily they can just turn them off. So there's no point. What What's your thoughts on it, Dan? It's a big topic and one that probably it deserves is. a whole show. But Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a there's a long rich history here, isn't there? Um, but yeah, I'm with you. the The question of whether it's a threat or not, for me, it's important to understand that that's a defensive question, not an offensive question. We're not asking that question because we want to attack them. Like you know, if we find that we're superior, we're not just, or at least I hope we're not just going to go gung ho uh, to war with them. Um, it's it's more a, a case of asking, are we safe? This is happening. Are we safe? And that's a totally reasonable question for me. You know, if I if I'm in an unfamiliar situation, that question, you know, it's so fundamental to being human um, and going about our day to day that you ask it without really thinking about it. Am I safe? You you meet a new animal, or you know, you see a dog in the park. You ask it. So why wouldn't be we be asking that about? this and you've got people in different camps within ufology and you've got the Stephen greer notion not the charging two and a half thousand dollars to watch flares being dropped off the coast <laughs> you know i'm just joking that we don't shots fired we, we don't know yeah <laughs> shots fired um we don't know that for sure but you know you've got the narrative that they're all friendly and really happy nice you know beings entities you've got other people that you know claim really brutal abductions there's been claims of sexual assaults and you know hybrid beings and i know that goes off way on a tangent um, but there, there are a lot of reports that some of these experiences aren't particularly friendly or at least they weren't um they weren't willing participants so 
yeah, I, sure. I, I can definitely see it. And then especially when it comes to a military point of view, at the end of the day, these militaries from all around the world have, it's a defence, as you say. It's, it's a, it can be a weapon, but it's also a defence for various different reasons. And these objects are quite clearly displaying technologies and capabilities and sending a message in one way or another that we can just turn your best and most devastating weapons off with literally the flick of a button, the change of a frequency. And even to go back to Series 1, we had the incident in um, Italy with the, the fires. And That's right. they had traced a frequency back to the sea that had started fires within the village. And then we saw the incident with the helicopter where they're saying that it was targeted with a like a frequency beam and a helicopter cra- basically crash-landed, but everyone was safe. So again, there's still an, an incident that it's, it's it's still all unexplained. And like I said, it's hard. There's no solid proof or evidence. Well, unless you're Chris Mellon, who, as he says at the end of the title sequence, Carl Sagan once said, extraordinary claims required extraordinary proof. Well, we have that proof now. So if this is good enough for them, then I'm happy to go along with the threat narrative because it is definitely opening doors and it has done within a very short period of time. Um some of the listener comments for episode three particularly, we had Bo, who said there was not enough Chris Mellon in this one, so obviously a Chris Mellon fan, but still respect all the witnesses coming forward for the first time. And absolutely, anyone who's appearing in this series, you've got to appreciate what they're doing coming forward, because these people have nothing to gain from this. Your Jeremy McGibbons, David Marceau's, all those former or ex-military are still usually either tied in with defence contracts now, a private sector, or, you know, have a lot of friends and colleagues and brothers, as they would call them, from yeah. their military background, that no doubt there's a stigma still attached to it. But hopefully, with them seeing this type of show, more and more of them come forward. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cre- there was, a, I, I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal article this week, um, but it was it was damning. But it was a very, it was like a little time capsule of a bygone era. I, I hadn't quite realized how much things had moved on since that kind of attitude. Um, you know, it used to be that 100% of articles were like that. But now that's one out of, what, 60, 70 we've had in the, in the past few weeks. It, it's glorious. We were talking about that last night, weren't we? We had a bit of a Skype conversation, one of the few we've not recorded. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was it. That if we look in isolation, and, and this was some of the points I've been making that should we put a bit of a a pin in it in the 70 plus years of UFO research and history and all the good that's been done and decide that we have to take this new direction forward that we've gone in the last two and a half years to start looking at things in a different way because it seems to be getting results and that might upset a lot of people but I'm just saying there's a lot of potential that maybe it's time for different theories, different approaches. Lou Elizondo is is no doubt the head of the movement, whether people like it or not. Um, and when you look at your Stanton Friedman's, your J. Allen Hynek's, Elizondo's probably now up in that echelon, isn't he? Yeah, for sure. Um, this is going to be in the history books. There's no doubt. But it's on the History Channel, so it's no doubt going to end up in history <laughs> books as well. So, so yeah. Um, Craig mentioned it was one of the better episodes. He likes to keep going over the case, so even who, people who have difficulty understanding will get it when this breaks open, because they are making the same points over and over and over again, but it's that weight of testimony. One 
case and one soldier, one pilot coming forward isn't going to land the message that they have to. Um, but 25 or 26 different testimonies make it into this entire series, as, as Anthony LePay told me. That's that's a lot. From It's, it's what, overwhelming, isn't it? Well, was it two and a half thousand contacts that he had? They said he had yeah. to go through to, to whittle it down and whittle it down. So, And I keep going back to the fact that he told us on that interview that people from NASA had got in touch but didn't want to commit to going on the record with experiences. Right. And that's a tease. We season three now. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole different series altogether, I think. Um, the Secret Agent said, I enjoyed the spooky weird sub-narrative with the box in the desert story. I think it's the first time we've seen one of the TTSA members mention that we are not alone from Luis Elizondo. And also Harry Reid um, is a big step in the series for me. Another great episode. Um, so, yeah. Harry Reid was great. Um, there, there was that great quote uh, <clears throat> where he said, like, he's always believed there are other beings out there. Um, I really hope that I'm not misattributing this now. Uh, I've always believed there are other beings out there. It's not devils and goblins. It's science. I think if you get and it that wrong, kind of get touch and it'll make you it'll make you change your quote anyway. I'll do a retraction. Yeah, it'll the, come out and deny. I'll change something else, and the black bolt can enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jack said it was awesome. I'm only halfway through. Um, Brian Miller. I like this, and I, we'll discuss this. I got the impression that someone is maybe going to help protect us from nuclear war. What's your thoughts on that? that? That's quite a common theory, isn't it? That if we did start to launch these against each other, then would would any kind of beings or entities interfere? I don't think so. Not because I'm pessimistic, only because I believe that there have been provocations um, over the past you know, 60, 70 years that have been tests for us. Um, and to put the decision in our hands, I, I think they, they'd rather kind of do a Star Trek Prime directive and be hands off and let us make the right choice as opposed to doing it for us and just having to deal with it over and over and over again, you know? Yeah, I, I made the point to someone that I can't remember if it was on a show. Um, actually, I think it's with Richard Lenny, who I interviewed and the interview will be coming out probably sometime next week now. Um, what about Hiroshima and Nagasaki? They are yeah. where two devastating nuclear events but given they were among the first that we know of is there an, an element of okay let the kids burn themselves once and then we'll take the matches off them or possibly i, I mean like that, you say that... is it a case of do you know what then if you're going to do it you're going to do it then you know crack on yeah i mean you know at a certain point you've got to let people be who they are and let the chips fall where they may, right? Um, but but you're right. That that's a really interesting thought that Hiroshima and Nagasaki would have been a, a possible look and see the destruction that you you've caused. Absolutely. Don't do it again. You know, or uh, we hope you don't do it again. Rather. Yep. So here's a crashed UFO in Roswell for you to play with and maybe take <laughs> a few technological leaps forward, spiritual. Leaps I, I've forward, always uh, I've always wondered little bit of speculation but i've always wondered if the uh the nuclear weapons if we're talking interdimensional if it would have had an effect on those other dimensions of that, course they, that's they, speculation they, crack, they no... crack open a doorway or they have a bit of a ripple or yeah like you know it, it could it could be a a really bad event on their side 
You know, we 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 just don't know. So, it's a very powerful release of energy. You know, I love an analogy or like bringing like a movie reference in. Okay, have you seen Spider Man into the Spider Verse? I have. That's a great film. Yeah. So you know, at the start when the Kingpin turns on the big machine, and it it rips open the realities, and all the other Spider Men, Spider Pig, Spider Gwen, Spider Noir all come That's in. That's perfect. That's, is yeah. that maybe what it's kind of that little bang that moment you know those atoms you know splitting interacting boom and then these things start to come in to who knows um a few more thoughts on episode three um it was it was good um it was stellar i've been watching every episode the work melon and elizondo are doing now is vital to moving forward uh more dod and doe information should come out through foyer and uh, i loved it more evidence from people with solid backgrounds captivating stories can't wait for the next episode that was uap curious render and cosmic pluralism studies as well thank you for the difficult names to pronounce in a scottish accent folks why can't i just have like alan or sharon you know that would be great but no thank you for everyone sending in thoughts on that um episode three overall when i put out a twitter poll on the first four episodes came out massively in front of what's been the best episode so far um really yeah are you more of a episode four fan dan i am yeah yeah do you know what i think i think with dan though i think dan goes with what the last episode was is going to be his favorite that's and exactly as right, we go yeah. forward oh, episode <laughs> five blew four out the water and episode six episode six that was 45 minutes of static um dan <laughs> just loved what they've done and the direction they went in on there Maybe in one of these upcoming yes. episodes and at the end of the series, someone will be wearing some of Dan's stuff and that'll just take total total precedent for him. Oh, don't. I died. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan almost died when he saw Sean Cahill sitting wearing his own <laughs> branded, which if you check out Dan's Redbubble store, which again will be in the links, um, he's very cool badge and decal sticker is there as well and it's on a lot of different clothing so uh, sean k hill's been repping that and ttsa's instagram's got it on it their twitter feed's got it on it and i'm sure lou elizondo's got like a a massive order in for some stuff coming up soon that last part may or may not be true i have Uh, one on the back of his truck have you heard rumors I say rumours. I know your sources, Dan, and I would believe that is very much a fact if it's... I'm jealous. So, folks, anyway, (laughs) as me and Dan digress, episode four, Planetary Threat. So, again, Dan, you see that that heading, Planetary Threat. What's your thoughts? Um, It's important to realise there's a question mark after it. Uh, In the episode listings, none of them have the question mark. Um, So going into the episode i thought they were about to make the statement um whereas it was more of a exploration of why it should be considered a planetary threat yeah do you know what i missed the question mark that's very anchorman ron burgundy whatever you put on the teleprompter (laughs) you'll read and it totally changes the meaning of it though from planetary threat to planetary threat if you've got that exactly. inflection in the voice. So, yeah, I actually have totally missed the, the question mark, which is a, is a massive deal, and maybe a lot of other people did as well, actually. Um, so, for me, I love when they go around different countries. Something that was hinted to me from Anthony Lippe was that South America would play a big part, and boy, Lou got the Amex out for his travels around South America. We had Peru, Chile, Argentina, 
and you cannot help be impressed, especially if you're a Luella Zondo fan, that he just slips in and out of various different languages and dialects with absolutely no cool. effort whatsoever. Um, which which I like. Uh, but yeah, what was your what was your kind of impressions then on your favourite episode so far, Dan? Uh, it's great to see some cases from outside the USA. Um, I know we had Randall Chum in the first season, but it's nice that we get a few here. And we also hear about the investigations going back many, many years, um, one of which seemed to be very controversial, uh, judging by Lou's reaction. Which one was that? Uh, that was the one uh, in Uruguay. Um, I think it was Captain Marcus Tomasio. Uh, apologies on the pronunciation. Um, but basically, the program was formed um, in 1979 at the behest of the USA after the USA had just closed Blue Book which yes. is kind of wild yeah so I was going to bring that up too Lou seemed a little bit taken aback by that didn't he that huh he did. so you were instructed by the US government or in collaboration with them at their behest I believe was was one of his words to yeah. form this program and study this phenomena which again yeah. ties in with let's go back to episode one these have been happening for for decades upon decades upon decades and now we're finding out other governments have had programs going back decades and decades so they're, if you they're, they're tying it in they're weaving a thread throughout this for people to, to really plot the points on um but yeah and it was a, it was a little surprising after you know the first season people would say that ttsa were focusing too much on the modern stuff um, so it, it's really great to see that they're branching out into that history and we're not forgetting the past. Yeah. Was it when he goes to Argentina and he meets the head of the program there where the 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 guy I don't know if Dan you can you want to be the Jamie of the show you said if you can grab <laughs> his you can grab his name for us. Um but he was the he's had a hundred percent success rate in closing the cases. Was that in Argentina? It wasn't Peru, was it? Uh, that was Ruben Lianza, um, official UFO investigations agency in Buenos Aires, I think. Yeah, so there we um, go. It was Argentina, yeah. I didn't like yeah, him. Yeah, he, he explained the, the rocket launch one, didn't he? And that mm -hmm. was fairly compelling, um, you know, with the kind of the glow with the color underneath. Um, but it didn't match the whole story that the, the pilots were suggesting. So Lou had that great quote where he said, I believe he's closed them all, but I don't believe he's solved them all. Yeah, it's he's basically Argentina's Mick West for anyone who's not seen the episode <laughs> yet that no, no, I'm going to listen and look at this fact, which fits my own narrative, and I will not listen to any of the corroborating evidence or the alternative angles. I wonder if his salary is related to closing cases. Ooh, shots, <laughs> shots fired, as, as you said earlier. Um, yeah, I um, I didn't like him. I don't, I don't think Lou liked him. Lou they, has they didn't seem to get on very well, did yeah, they? Yeah, he's got an incredible poker face, doesn't he? And 
when when that guy was sitting there quite smarmy and given the whole well yes I, I they're almost all misconceptions or they're this or they're that and they're showing these videos of you know the orbs and and this is something where i don't get too deep into the conversation because i don't have a background in any kind of imagery analysis or i take things at face value and if i see a video on my twitter just a, an hour ago a, a retweet a video of what looks like a, an orange orb being captured in the daytime and here's a, a, a fact for everyone about me i'm colorblind so if i've said orange and it's yellow you know don't start trolling me um <laughs> was it right cool yeah so um i might get those wrong from time to time with my colors but yeah so it, it looks pretty good though at face value the footage and i'll look at it and go does it disappear when it shouldn't behind branches or you know if someone does it look doctored in any way does it and you know you can tell when something looks fake but now we've got the problem that things can look too good so you really can't win with any footage a lot of the pictures of orbs or these People claim they're celestial beings or they're kind of drones or they're kind of just balls of light in the sky that these pilots are seeing and corroborating and testifying about. They seem quite confident that they know what a star looks like. They know what a satellite looks like. They know what auroras look like. And they are trained observers because part of their skill set has to be with a naked eye that they can fly these incredible, you know, um, craft and I don't mean UFOs, I mean the actual planes that they fly with with no instruments barely, you know, if they have any malfunction. So these guys know what they're looking at. And obviously one of the pilots pulls out his phone and shows Lou the the, the, the video he took and the, the picture he took. That's right. And Lou's captivated. Now, it seems to me that it's too easy for someone like an Argentinian Mick West or a, you know, British Mick West to just call out that, oh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a star out of focus. Do you not think they would have checked that? And do you not think this guy knows what a star looks like? And that's why he doesn't, every single night, he flies on the red eye in Argentina or Peru, take his phone out and record stars. Yeah, absolutely. They, they'd have experience knowing what they were looking at, right? Um, it's ridiculous that anyone suggested that, you know, what David Fravor saw was a canopy reflection. Um, just absurd. Um, I think D.D. Johnson sums it up well when he says it's kind of, the the opposite of Occam's razor instead of the simplest solution kind of usually being right it's kind of the need of a comedy of errors to justify something so outlandish to make this a possibility that it's just useless basically yeah and i have no issue with debunking anything because i like fat and i do enjoy looking at some incredible footage and there's certain ones i look at and think my god that probably looks too good but then i know there's a video that always creeps about online of uh it's meant to be ufo has landed in the middle of a forest and it's someone from a distance if you if you've ever seen this one you, you probably will have and it shows you little beings out of focus walking up the ramp and then the ufo taking off and you can clearly see it's cgi'd you can just tell, but then there's so much else, like the most recent, uh, it was quite a recent video of the the three large tic-tac-looking objects coming round the moon. That's right, yeah. Now, I, I can't remember. And, and I, I'd, see, I'd seen people saying it had, that was fake and it was CGI'd, and had that been confirmed? Um, I don't think a source was found on it, but it got to the point where it was pretty definitive that it was CGI because of the sizing of the shadows to the objects and how far they were from the moon, so on and so forth. Like the shadows would have been more diffused yeah. or something like that. People smarter than me figured it out. Um, That's, they, do you not know think, though, it's a prime example of that looked really, really good at first. 
Yeah, glass. for sure. It looked really good. And they, there's one thing that always, always comes up and it, it makes me laugh because it's a video of ball lightning. And, you know, that kind of gets blamed for UFO stuff a lot. Mm. Um, and as far as I can tell, there are no videos of it online. Um, and there's one video that always comes up that's kind of a blue blob of ball lightning going across some train tracks and the sparks are kind of flying off it like, uh, you know, Electro in Spider-Man as he mm-hmm. walks along. Yeah. Um, and it's a fake video, but it looks fantastic. You know, there's reflections on the tracks, everything like that. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to TTSA and Skyhub starting to make software that can pin down these videos within seconds you know it's going to take yes. a while to kind of get those parameters but it'll be great to be able to just chuck it through and go hey that's a fake absolutely and um one of the listeners of the show long time listener mark he has commented on episode four that why do we think lou wouldn't elaborate on his own sighting he's got his own theory which he hasn't shared but what what do we think so dan Obviously, the episode ends with the producer or one of the producers asking Lou, you've had your own sighting, and it's very matter-of-fact. So they've obviously had a discussion. You know, what do you think? Why haven't you shared it? Lou doesn't really... He gives the the sigh and the look away, almost a Skinwalker Ranch-esque moment, if you want to talk about production. It, it came it. across a tiny bit, not rehearsed, but, you know, that was planned. And it's been put there for a reason. But Possibly I will absolutely let, I'll let him away with question. it. Um, the second question really surprised me. Um, the, the producer asks, uh, I'm paraphrasing now, but is it what, what do you believe they are? And, oh no, do you believe they're real? That's it, sorry. Um, and he kind of shifts awkwardly and says, with all due respect, I'm not going to answer that question. And he looks very emotional when he says it. It's it's the first time I've kind of seen that the cool of Luis Elizondo fall away for a second. Um, so I think that that first question possibly could have been asked a number of times, and that's why it's coming across as something that maybe feels sage to you. Um, but yeah, that that second answer was was wild. I'll always be fair. Why did Luis Elizondo not just answer yes? to that final question given what he's talked about and you know on, on cnn fox all those different news networks that he's been on and the whole nature of the show why why didn't he just answer yes in, in your opinion do, do you mean to the do you believe they're real question yeah. um i think purely because the word believe is in there Lu, louise elizondo doesn't seem to deal with belief i should put that on a t-shirt you should deal with belief um but yeah i i that was my impression that it just came down to that. It's not to do with belief to build a watertight case with evidence. And I think he just wants to keep it like that. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, he clearly knows these things are real and he has a good idea, I think of, of what they may be or what multitudes of these may be given they're probably more than one thing as we're, we're kind of looking at and trying to find out. But yeah, episode four as a whole, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the traveling around different parts of South America. Something I spoke with Buddy from Alien Protocols about was like, you know, ET Superhighway over South America. We had the Magi UFO incident a few months ago as well. And again, it just seems to be one of those continents particularly. And there's so many countries where UFO and UAPs are just part of the culture. This happens a lot. They see these things a lot. 
it's not a surprise and it gets reported in the news over there a lot better than it does in the US and then as as we know particularly in the UK as well so really enjoyed episode 4 so yeah, pretty much great. that's us done for this week episodes 5 and 6 of Unidentified episode uh, 5 will be the 8th of August at 9.10 central and episode 6 will be the 15th of August again 9.10 central episode 5 airline encounters it does what it says on the tin if you're a Ron Sill quick drying Woodstain fan, some older UK listeners might appreciate that reference. <laughs> um, and episode six, interestingly, UF the UFO cover up. That's going to be a good one, I think. I can feel it in my bones. Um, you, we, I've always kind of maintained to to friends of mine that I can't prove to them that aliens are here, but I can prove to them there's been a cover up. There is so much paperwork. There is so much kind of mysterious circumstances around certain things there's so much playing with intelligence and conducting operations on people and things like that that i'm i'm really excited to see what they include there's a lot that could be in there yeah really excited for those and then oh, that's us halfway through this series already and then we've got to wait however long for another series of unidentified devastating stuff it's um, fast hasn't it it is. It's, it's, it's nice doing it as it kind of happens as well. So, listen, folks, this episode will more than likely drop this coming Friday. It, there's not much point in me saying that at this point, actually, because you're listening to it and it's going to be at least Friday. So, <laughs> yeah, totally irrelevant. And I'm not editing that out because, yeah, that just shows the stupidity of what I've just said, really, doesn't it? So this episode has aired because you are listening to it. I hope you enjoyed it. You've made it to the end. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, again, Dan, thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure, as always. Awesome. And again, folks, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
catch by George Kittle. <laughs> hey, Niner fans, George Kittle here with a pro tip for making the best play on your eyewear. Visit Zinni.com, the official eyewear of the 49ers. Zinni has changed the game for you, finally making prescription glasses affordable for everyone. At Zinni, you can find over 3,000 frames with unbelievable prices. Look for the Kittles collection so you can rock our styles every day, too. So visit Z-E-N-N-I.com, start shopping from home using their virtual try-on, and change your eyewear game forever. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors, about bundling your home and auto. When you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get great savings and round-the-clock protection, which is as beautiful as looking your firstborn child in the eyes for the first time. Well, that's a bit much. Maybe it's more like looking your second-born child in the eyes for like the third or fourth time. Point being, the savings and round-the-clock protection are really, really magical. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.